Thanks for checking out the Church RC podcast today. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you. Now, here's Pastor Brian Sparks. At Numbers 13 and verse 21, it says this. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Larry, Moe, and Curly, the descendants of Anak, were there. If you can say it, then you're better than me. Now, Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshcol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. Now, that's a big cluster of grapes. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Cellulites dwell by the sea. Come on, that's when you see the Cellulites, right? by the sea you don't know you don't you don't even notice them until you get by the sea some of you are like amen brother and then once they cut once you get the cellulites it's impossible to get rid of them amen but the lord shall deliver you amen (laughs) some of you are like that's not in the Bible. it's not in the Bible. okay canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the jordan Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it were great of great stature. There we saw the giants. And we were like grasshoppers, come on, get this, in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried out. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in the wilderness. This is the last verse. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and children should become victims. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? If you're taking notes today, which I hope you are, we have a saying here that the paper never forgets. You can title this message, The Power of Perception. The Power of of perception. Lord, right now, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you that every ear in here is open. It's receptive to hear your word. 
Lord, they didn't come to hear a word from man. They've come to hear a word from you. And so, Lord, right now, I pray that you would use me to speak to the hearts of your people. Let every life be changed. Let no one be the same. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I love it when Isaiah plays. Come on. He's, uh, I feel like I'd give an altar call. We could just be done. Amen. There was a young man uh, who was uh, going through college and, and taking a pretty heavy load of college classes. And, and uh, one day he had one of those, he, he was having one of those days where if it could go wrong, it would go wrong. Anybody ever had one of those days? And he, uh, he had set his alarm the night before and it didn't go off because there was a power outage in the middle of the night. Uh, some people think that's a curse. I call it a blessing. Amen. But, uh, but anyway, so he had slept through his lo- alarm and he was running late for class and he, run down st- he ran downstairs, got in his car in a hurry and tried to start it and it wouldn't start and he realized the battery was dead and so he was trying his best to get to class. He, he finally uh, made it on campus and he got to his class and snuck in the back. Come on, that's what you do when you're late. So he just snuck in, sat down on the back row and, and, and tried not to make any noise and he had noticed that the, the professor professor had wrote, written an equation on the board. So he jotted the equation down and, and uh, assumed it was homework and, and uh, finished the class and went about his week. Well, that night he got home and he pulled out his homework and started to work on it. And he realized that this was a very difficult equation. This wasn't something that he, and he was, he considered himself to be pretty good at math, but he couldn't figure this one out. And so he just kept working on it. And, and, and day, days went by and he continued to work on this. He would come in every night and just begin to work on it. Well, in the wee hours of the morning before his class the next day, he finally came up with the solution to the problem. He had worked really hard days on this problem, and he finally came up with a solution. So he took it in to his professor. He turned in his paper, uh, his, his homework, and he said, here you go. Here's the, uh, the homework that you gave us last week. You had written it on the board. He said, I want to let you know that that was a very difficult problem. I worked on it for days, but I finally figured it out. The professor looked at the equation, and he began to, to go over the, the young man's work And then was amazed that he had figured it out because, see, when the young man came in late, what he didn't realize is the professor had written an equation on the board that the math community had deemed impossible to solve. That it was something that nobody could solve, nobody could figure it out, but the young man didn't realize that impossible was attached to to the equation. He had no idea that there was an impossible in front of it. Everybody else in the room saw impossible. Everybody else, including the professor, saw that there was no way that it could be solved. But the young man, when everybody else saw impossible, he walked out seeing an assignment. He saw that there was an opportunity to go home and work on it. And I wonder how many of us are seeing our circumstance and our situation or whatever we're going through in life as impossible. And God's saying, no, I haven't called you to see it like everyone everybody else. I've called you to see it as an assignment because I brought you in. Come on, somebody. Isn't it amazing that the children of Israel, everybody comes back. They finally arrive at the land that God has called them to be at and to take possession of. And he, they walk in and there was only one man that saw it the right way. 
Everybody else said it's impossible and began to come up with excuses and say, you don't understand, we went in and yeah, the fruit is good and it looks really good and everything is going, but you don't understand, there's giants in the land, there's obstacles in the place. They, I don't, we're not able to go up, but there was one man that stood up and said, let's go up at once for we are well able. Caleb didn't see any, the only thing that he saw different was that God was on their side. And if God had brought them in, he had, he had made them capable to do whatever he had called them to do. And I wonder how many of us are seeing our situations as impossible. And what we need to be seeing is an assignment. We need to be seeing opportunities. Can I tell you, the road to your destiny will always be paved with difficult situations. It will be paved with obstacles. There will be times when you look at it and you think, there is no way. It is impossible. But I, and I think a lot of people end up throwing in the towel and quitting far too soon. They end up giving up, and they walk out, and they say, no, you know, I, I understand that it would be really good if this dream came true. I know that it would be awesome if this came to pass, but you don't understand. It's impossible, and so they throw in the towel, and I'm telling you right now that God doesn't want you to quit on your dreams. He doesn't want you to quit on what God has called you to do. We need to start being like Caleb and start seeing our circumstance and the situation through God's eyes and not through a distorted perception. See, distorted perception will always keep you from your destiny. Distorted perception will keep you from doing all that God has called you to do. It's just the way it is. And I think there's the, 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 life has a way of distorting the way that we see circumstances and the way that we see the things that happen to us in our life. And we begin to see it through the wrong lens. And I think that if we're ever going to correct that, we must start seeing things the way God sees Things, three things that distorted perception will do. Number one, distorted perception will change the way you see your current circumstance. It'll change the way you see your current circumstances. There was two young boys that grew up in the same house and with brothers. And uh, it was amazing to the parents because the parents realized that they were completely different. Anybody have brother or sister that's completely different than them. I, I Sometimes I look at my sister, I'm like, are we, we, are we really, we were raised in the same house? It's amazing. She's, uh, I'm always about 45 minutes early and she's always about four days late. But uh, these, these boys were kind of like that. They were just completely different. One always saw the positive in everything. I mean, always. I mean, he, if there was a way to see the light at the end of the tunnel, he was going to. I, he was just optimistic about everything. He was positive. He was just, it was amazing how, how he could just take even what seemed like the worst circumstance and he would find a ray of sunshine in it. But the other boy, on the other hand, was completely the opposite of that. He found the negative in everything. He, he would find, I, I mean, if, if he got something for his birthday, he would complain about it. It was just always something negative in, in his life. So confused and not understanding what to do, the, 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 the parents took the, the boys to the doctor and said, Hey, listen, here's what's going on. We, one, it, one finds the positive and one finds the negative. They, it's like they don't see the same thing. I don't understand it. So the doctor was curious and wanted to kind of explain. Ex- 
experiment with this a little bit. So he took one boy in one room and took the other in the other room. He brought in a brand new bicycle to the one who saw the negative in everything, the pessimist. And the young boy, he said, here we go, we got you a brand new bicycle. And he said, what are you trying to do, kill me? Like you're giving me a bicycle without a helmet, you know I could fall off and I could crack my skull, I could break my arm. I, he, there's no telling what kind of injuries I could, I could get from this bicycle. Thanks a lot. For, I, I can tell you really care about me. They were just amazed at how he saw it as such a negative situation. Where other boys would have jumped up and down for joy because they got a new bike, he saw only the bad in the situation. The other young man, they put in a room with full of manure. And they opened the door and the stench kind of caught them off guard and water in their eyes. And they were finally looking around for him and they couldn't find him anywhere. So they began to call out his name and Finally, there was some rustling in the manure, and the boy pokes his head out of the pile of manure, and they said, what are you doing? He said, you can't fool me. With this much poop, there's bound to be a pony in here somewhere. And I think there's so many of us that all we see in life is poop, and we we lose focus of the promise. We lose focus of what God has called us to see. We all we see is the negative situation. All we see is the negative surrounding our life. And we never take time to focus on what God has called us to see. Is it going to be difficult? Absolutely. Is it going to be hard? Absolutely. Are there going to be some roadblocks? Sure there are. But I'm here to tell you, stop focusing on the poop of life and start focusing on the promise of God. Great Depression was a massive economic downturn. Started in 1930 and ended in 1939. Most of us don't remember that. I wasn't even around. My grandmother used to tell me stories about it. And uh, she grew up on a farm and was picking cotton. And uh, she said one, one year, they, they were so, so poor that one year for uh, Christmas, her dad went out and bought the entire family a big bottle of Jergens lotion. Because from picking cotton, their, their hands would become so dry and cracked that just the lotion, was, it was like the best, she said it was the best thing that he could have ever gotten us. Isn't it amazing that in that time, a bottle of lotion was something that was amazing. But the Great Depression was one of these times when a lot of people lost hope. They thought there's no way out. In fact, it got so bad that suicide went through the roof. It was at an all-time high. I mean, people were committing suicide on a regular basis and, and because they had lost hope in the situation. They thought there was never going to be a turnaround. But here's what's interesting. While some people saw it as hopeless, others saw it as an opportunity. Because more millionaires were made during the Great Depression than any other time in history. Isn't that amazing? That people can look at uh, the same situation completely differently. One sees it as an obstacle and one sees it as an opportunity. And I wonder how you're looking at your current circumstance. Are you seeing obstacle only or are you seeing opportunity? Yeah, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I know that God can make a way where there seems to be no way. You know, every 
passage in the Bible. I, I, I love, as a pastor, I love preaching on miracles. Come on, I, I like talking about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and, and healing blind eyes and, come on, uh, lame men walking. I love talking about all of those things. And the truth is, I think most of us in this place love reading about miracles. But what's amazing is, is that on the other side of that miracle was somebody facing an impossible situation. See, we, 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 don't, we, just, we know the end already. So we read it and excited about it because we've already heard the story and we know that Lazarus was raised from the dead. But the truth is, is right now you're in the middle of your story. And it seems impossible. It seems like there's no way. It seems like there's not going to be a way out. But I'm here to tell you that the same God that raised Lazarus from the dead, come on, is still active and moving on this earth. And if he moved for them, he can move for you. Psalms 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver. Come on, somebody. The Lord shall deliver them out of them all. That's a bad boy right there. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord. See, there's a but in the middle of that that, you, that most people throw out. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, and they just leave it alone. Well, it's just going to be one day when we get to this sweet by and by. I'm here to tell you about a God who cares about your nasty now and now. He cares about what's going on in your life right now. But the Lord shall deliver you out of them all. Number two. Distorted perception will change the way you see yourself. It says in this passage, it says that we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in theirs. Isn't that, isn't that does that just amaze? We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Here's, here's, there's a couple of things that you can take away from that. They had a, obviously had a distorted vision, but the way you see yourselves will determine how other people see you. The way you see yourself makes a big difference. You ever watch somebody that thinks they're good looking, and they walk in, you kind of start looking at them like, well, maybe they're not bad. But they're really ugly as sin, but they're just, they're just confident pretty good looking people I guess they're okay yeah I mean that big nose really does work on them it's nice buck teeth looks good the way you see yourself determines the way others see you but distorted vision or distorted perception will change the way you see yourself I was flipping through the channels watching tv a while back and I came across a a a tv show on uh, anorexia it's a horrible disease, and but I was interested, so I, I kind of started watching. And there was a, a young woman who was being interviewed, and she had been ba- she had battled with anorexia since she was in high school. She was in her late twenties, and she weighed seven. She was five foot ten and weighed seventy pounds. I mean, she looked emaciated. She, she, her cheekbones were sticking out. She was so thin that, I mean, it, it looked like, she honestly looked like she was in her 40s. 
She looked so bad. Her teeth were unhealthy. She just, she just was this just awful-looking, sad thing. And the interviewer was talking about anorexia and different things. And finally, he asked her, he said, can I ask you this question? What do you see when you look in the mirror? And she said, I see fat. That's all I can see is all of my flaws and all of my fat. And, I, and I, was, I, I was honestly shocked by this. How can a woman who is 70 pounds see fat? She has, honestly has no fat on her body. How can she still see it? See, here's the thing. Is at some point and some time in this woman's life, she stopped seeing herself in the mirror and she started seeing a lie. See, I don't know where the lie came from. It could have come from a friend. It could have come from herself. It could have come from a dad, a mom, a loved one. It doesn't matter where it came from. The fact that she believed it and she started rehearsing it in her mind over and over and over again. No longer did she see herself in the mirror and her value and what God had called her to be. She saw a lie in the mirror reflecting back at her. And I think there's so many of you, you might not be battling with anorexia, but I think that you don't see your value when you look in the mirror you see everything that's wrong with you all your mistakes come on somebody you see your past you see your flaws you see your failures and I want you to start seeing what God sees God has put something on the inside of you I love the the story of Gideon and I don't have time to read the passage of scripture, but, but but Gideon was an amazing man because he was he was honestly a big chicken It says that he was threshing wheat in a hole in the ground. It's more or less. He's threshing wheat because he's afraid of that the enemy might find him. And it says in the moment when he's doing this very thing, God shows up to him and calls him a mighty man of valor. I would call him a big chicken. And God says, you're a mighty man of valor. Then Gideon begins to tell God, no, 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 you, you don't understand. You got the wrong guy. Not only am I not mighty, I'm, I, I come from the weakest clan, the weakest family in all of Israel, and I'm the weakest of all my family. So I'm the weakest person on the face of the earth is what he's saying. Don't call me mighty because I'm not mighty. And I love this because God says, go in this might of yours. It's almost like God's death. Like, I, you're, not hearing, you're not hearing what I'm putting down, God. You don't understand. This is all the reasons why I can't. I'm weak. I can't do this. I'm not mighty, but I love this because God begins to call out what he put in on the inside of him when he created him in his mother's womb. And I think that if we would begin to see ourselves like God sees us, we couldn't, there would be no limit to what we could do. We see ourselves through a lie. When we look in the mirror, I, I'm here to tell you that you need to start looking at yourself in the mirror and you need to start talking about what you are. I am valuable. 
I, I am good enough. I am a CEO. And you begin to talk about, well, this is just self-help. No, I'm telling you, you begin to see yourself like God sees you. You begin to talk about yourself like God. Ain't nobody rock a pot belly like I rock a pot belly. Ain't nobody looks good with cellulite like I look good. I make it look good, girl. You begin to talk about yourself like you see yourself. Yeah, I know that my mama's ugly and I know my daddy's ugly, but guess what? I'm the best looking ugly person in my entire family. You begin to talk about yourself like God talks about you and say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I will take the land. I will possess the land. I will go after my dreams. I won't settle for less. What lie have you bought into that's keeping you from your destiny? What lie have you believed What lie have you let somebody whisper in your ear and you've rehearsed it over and over and over again and now it's all you see? And you have a distorted perception of yourself. The last thing. Distorted perception will change the way you see God. A distorted perception will change the way you see God. See, the children of Israel are, at first they're talking about their circumstance. How they can't do it, it's too much. And then they start talking about themselves. How they're not good enough, they're not capable. But then at the very last verse it says, Has the Lord brought us up here to kill us? That our kids and our wives might fall victim. See, distorted perception began to change the way they saw God. And no longer was God the one who brought them out of Egypt. The one who had given them the land, who had brought them through countless things, who had provided for them over and over and over again. No longer was he good. Now in their mind, he was evil. And he was out to get them. A young man was reading an article one day in a magazine and he came across a page and it was talking about starving children in Africa. And the, the young man was very moved by it and uh, had a heart. He, he just didn't understand. And so he went to church and he went up and he handed this article to his Sunday school teacher and asked the question, Does God know about this? The Sunday school teacher read the article and said, yes, he does, and he cares about it. He grabbed the article back from him and said, if God knows about it, I don't want anything to do with God, and walked out of the church. That young man was Steve Jobs, founder of Apple. And here's the thing, church. I don't know why we always point the finger of blame when bad things happen at a good God. Why do we do that? I don't care what some preacher told you. God didn't need another flower in heaven, so he took your baby. That's jacked up theology. The Bible says this. The devil comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. 
But God has come to give life, come on somebody, and life more abundantly. See, here's the thing though, is God is so good at turning a bad situation into something good. He's so good at turning it around that we often blame a good God for bad things. And I don't know what you've been through, but I know this, God is good. And He's good all the time. He's so good that He came to this earth. He died on a cross. He was raised from the dead. Not just for your salvation, but become the solution for everything that you might need. Isn't that amazing? So when you get a bad doctor's report, you can grab a hold of a scripture that says, by the stripes of Jesus Christ, I am healed. When you're going through some hard times in your, in your finances, you can grab a hold of a promise of God that says, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, friend, he is hope to the hopeless. If you need restoration in your marriage, he is the great restorer. He is the answer to whatever you need. If there is something that you're going through in life, Jesus has become a promise for you. Some of you let bad situations distort your view of a good God. And I've come to set the record straight that he loves you cares about you, that he hasn't forsaken you, and that he's fighting on your side. At The Church RC, we aim to help you encounter Jesus. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at thechurchrc.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at thechurchrc.com. If you have a story to share about how God is moving in your life, you can email us at amen at thechurchrc.com.